Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to all our listeners from wherever you get in the show, whether you get it off our website, ontherecordpodcast.com, whether you get it from our feed in iTunes, or whether you get the syndicated feed through social media today, um, you're really going to love this show. By the way, if you're getting this through social media today, you may be getting it like a week late because we don't always get the feed out there as quickly. Um, But what this is, is a recording of what I thought was one of the best sessions from this year's PRSA Digital Impact Conference in New York City, a conference that I've been chairing for the last five years. And this presentation is called The Content Imperative. And what it covers is new ways to work with the media and content studios. It covers the difference between three new approaches to paid content distribution and why your company now needs a content mindset more than a messaging mindset. Uh, The presenter is Steve Rubell, Chief Content Strategist at Edelman. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you you very much for uh, for having me. Um, So I've been, I've had the honor of being um, a speaker at this conference for a few years now. And I think we're at the beginning of something that is, I was just telling Eric, is going to be as big or bigger in terms of the transformative, the transformative power in our industry than social media was. There's, this is truly going to disrupt the PR industry. Um, I don't think the PR industry actually has ever really been disrupted. I think that everything that happened with social media was kind of, in many ways, new and additional, this could be disruptive. And if our folks, your teams and ours don't follow what's happening, we, we may not have the same career path and, and options that we do today. So um, I'm more hopeful than, than I am negative, but I just want to share with you that this is a, there is a major disruptions going, going on in the media business. But even with all that disruption and the changes that I'm about to describe over the next um, 45 minutes or so, I'm actually quite optimistic. And I hope that you will be too, because I think you'll see a way forward that maybe you didn't see before. Um, So let me kind of lay this out. Um, I've been a communicator for 8,062 days. Actually, did a count. Includes weekends, but you know, we those of you in PR understand that. Um, and what I've seen take place in the last six months has surprised me by its uh, its spread and by its acceleration. So let me kind of frame up what I uh, what I do in my role. Um, what I do is I go out and 
I'm freed up for Edelman to find the smartest people I can in the media business and to find out how their jobs are changing and what that means for our 5,000 people and our clients worldwide. So my job split is basically in the thirds. Third of my time is spent, like I said, seeking out mostly mid to senior level executives, not so much on the editorial side, more and more on the, in the C-suite at the media, at, on the media side. Um, and also uh, the, uh, some of the, uh, the platforms that are in the middle, as well as um, the technology uh, platforms that we use. So for example, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, et cetera. And I try to find out how is media consumption changing, and what does that mean for our clients and our teams worldwide so that we begin to move in that right direction. And this goes, I usually go, go everywhere from the seeing the folks at CBS uh, to seeing uh, uh, folks at BuzzFeed, or who I know you're going to hear from today or tomorrow, uh, to looking at The Verge, um, to looking at completely new business models that are, are evolving in the ad tech space as well. Uh, and there are a group of people within Edelman who I work with who basically do the same thing in their respective markets in the UK, in Australia, in, um, in Germany, in uh, Asia Pacific, just to get a, a f global feel for what's happening. Um, and I'm seeing the same trend everywhere, which is disruption. Uh, and I'm going to lay out kind of what is happening today and what it means, I think, for you and your teams and your jobs. So the, uh, the impetus for this is, um, is we see, a couple of years ago, we kind of had a, a view that media consumption now more and more is converged. Um, there's a lot of talk from our friends at the Altimeter Group about converged media as a model. Um, we agree with that. It's something we've been tracking as well for, uh, for a couple of years. So about, uh, about two years ago, a group of us got together and said, OK, how do we make sense of the, the media environment? Because as I look at it, the media is terra firma for the, for the PR industry. And if you define media in the broadest sense of the word, to include social, it's the, it's the ground we walk on. If that ground is not stable or not viable, or changing in consistency and tone, and changing how it's monetized, then so was, must we. And so that's what we began to think about around two years ago. So we, we looked at it, and we categorized media by type, by behavioral type, not so much by ownership, but by, but by where they, you know, how they kind of behave. Um, so in the upper left, we have our traditional media, which are, are you know, household brands, names that we all, many of us grew up with, that in some way still have some form of traditional business model, meaning they have a print publication, or they have a broadcast uh, tower, or they're a cable network, et cetera. In the upper right, we have our hybrid clover. We call them hybrids because they are digitally native media companies. They grew up, they know, they know no other way other than digital, they run, they, and they run that way. Um, but they have traditional business models through advertising. And so we call them hybrids because they're a mix of new and yet traditional. And the bottom left, and there's been a lot of focus in this area in the last year, there is company or brand as media company, as content producer, in creating your own op and operated uh, websites and mobile apps. And the bottom right, 
which I know has been a big, big focus for us for obviously for, for going on 10 years now, they're social. So we look at this and we think about when we're doing a, a program, how we create programs that A, not only check each box, but move stories around. In the middle we have two icons. We have a search icon and a, an icon representing visual content. We think that those are tools at our disposal. I know Danny was here earlier talking about Google. Um, and so that's clearly something that we have to know more about. But we still had a lot of questions about this. And so the Edelman has freed me up to basically kind of go try to figure out what those questions are and to help the firm as a group try to, try to answer those. Um, and what we found is that, well, there really isn't just four clovers. It's as nice and neat as that is, and as it, it kind of gets our head around thinking about it, there's actually many different clovers that all overlap. And everybody has a very different worldview of media. There are some people that get all their news from Facebook. There are some people that get all of their news from in-store in some markets. Um, or they get all their news from one given uh, channel. My, uh, my mom just got a smartphone, and, and now she's addicted to the CNN app. And I'm sure uh, Jeff Zucker is happy about that. Um, and you know, that's uh, a change that, she, you know, that, that was new for her. Everyone's got their own worldview of media. But the problem is, around that, is that there's too much content and not enough time. And audiences are getting more and more fragmented by the number of things that are vying for their attention. And that means that even the greatest stories can go missing and people won't see them. And it's not like it was five years ago or even 10 years ago. The, the amount of options for content are, uh, are going up. And I want to show you a video that, uh, that illustrates that. Let's see if I get the sound working. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? So it's easy to miss something uh, you're not looking for. And every day, people are not looking for you or your clients. And that means they're missing your stories. So I remember you know, when I started in media relations 20 years ago, we would go and get a great story in the New York Times or in the Wall Street Journal. And man, it was great because I didn't have to do any work for three more weeks. Um, I mean, when that story hit, I mean, it, was an, it, it, did, it had enough resonance to drive behavior or perception change for a while before I had to think about generating the next placement. That's gone, long gone. It requires a lot of rain now for people to realize they need to buy an umbrella. 
And so that means you are a moonwalking bear, I am a moonwalking bear, we are all moonwalking bears. So we have to think about how we stand out in the cloverleaf. We need new strategies to stand out. The media industry, we found, totally gets it. And they have generated some new behaviors that help their stories stick to screens, because they recognize they need to do that more and more. So there are, and I've written about this, there's a, there's a paper on my, uh, on my website. We have written about kind of five ways that journalists operate now. They do everything from make heavy use of analytics. If you go to a place, you go you know, downtown, go see the folks at the Business Insider, they all sit in a room about this size, and you see a giant screen that has a leaderboard. And it's showing you whose stories, authors, are trending in real time on their site, and it changes constantly based on the stories. If somebody is writing about crisis and negative news, you bet they rise to the top. If somebody is writing about the, the platform wars between operating systems and mobile websites, of course, that also. If they're writing about Facebook or Twitter, of course they get more traffic. These are human beings, and they sit in this room, and they watch this all day long, and they're very sophisticated, and it guides what they cover. And that's happening in newsrooms around the world. So we've written, uh, written about that. Um, written about how more and more media companies are now thinking about being spreadable as being drillable. So there's a whole way that reporters and editors are operating now that we need to be cognizant of and make sure that we map our practices to that. And I've written about that, and I have a whole talk track on that. You can find that on my site. Out of that exercise, we began to see that there's a stylistic divide in the way people tell stories in the media industry that we could be replicating in our own programs. There's a difference between news you read and news you say you read. One is to elevate your private self, and the other is to elevate your public self. And we have to be thinking about that constantly in the way we, that we tell stories. I don't think we're thinking about it that way. We're thinking we're going, to do some so we're going to do some stuff on social. A lot of the programs that are executed on social are not designed to make people look good for sharing it. That is what drives the sharing economy, egos. It's fact. We'd like to think it, it's benevolence. It's not. It's, it's primarily egos. And so we looked at that, and we've, and we've written a paper around that, around the discovery, and the difference between these two sides of the house. And you can find that on my site as well. Out of that exercise, these two papers that, that Edelman, thankfully, has given me the opportunity to go write, I began to notice changes in the money and the way that media companies are sustaining themselves or trying to with revenue. So if you think about it, there's really only two ways that media companies make money. It's, for the most part, it's circulation or advertising. Well, there are major threats on the advertising front that are being driven by technology that are disrupting your business model. And that is going to create all kinds of new opportunities for those of us who seize it in this room. And it, and it will create threats for those who don't. And I'm going to explain that over the next few minutes. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to lay out, and I'm not, a, I'm not an economist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, I always joke that you know, Edelman is a great place to work because they gave me Word and PowerPoint and didn't give me Excel. Uh, 
because if, and the world is a better place with Steve Rubell not having Excel. Um, but um, you know, I'm really, and, uh, but I've looked at the economic model of media and I've, and I've watched what's happened and I think that this is gonna create new opportunities for us who sees it. So I'm gonna lay out an economic model and, and some causes of how the media business is changing due to macroeconomics and then explain how we can kind of navigate those new waters. So, first trend, and this is not any, you know, this is no secret. The internet does not like scarcity. It loves abundance. So, that's a problem for the media industry, because the media industry loves scarcity. They love the fact that they can aggregate a lot of eyeballs in one place and make money on that. There's very few true mass reach media anymore. They'll put out Comscore numbers, they'll put out Nielsen numbers, but the reality is they're all getting a thinner and thinner slice of the pizza pie, which might be growing, but it's still a thinner and thinner slice. Case in point, Oprah. The journal did an analysis of all of the celebrity confessional interviews um, over the last 15 years, starting with Monica Lewinsky and you know, going through Tiger Woods and so forth, kind of the, the, the you know, their coming out to kind of discuss their, their recent um, accidents, let's just say. And um, Oprah had a really tough time just amassing 3.2 million people to watch Lance Armstrong with his interviews. Now, obviously, all these interviews are very different. They're all different circumstances. They're different, you know, they're different people and so forth. But the reality is, and the journal noticed this, that it's hard to aggregate a lot of eyeballs in one place and at one time anymore because of the, you know, basically fragmented attention streams and the fact that everyone now has continuous partial attention, which is a phrase that was coined about 15 years ago. And so that's number one is scarcity has, you know, for many years now been eroding because there's an abundance of choice, there's an abundance of options and, and abundant, you know, many different places where people can go to consume content. Number two is media companies can't make subscription on the internet work. So as more of the consumption goes digital, they are trying very hard to make money through subscriptions. There's very few that can do that. The, the New York Times gets now more revenue from readers than they do from advertisers, and that took place about a year ago. This very, the vast majority are not gonna be able to do that. The Journal can do that, the FT can do that maybe, um, but you know, I don't see the, the Huffington Post you know, being able to charge for content. People, and if they're, you know, how many people here pay for content on the internet out of their own pockets, let's just say? Okay, there you go. Um, and for me, that's like two. It's a Times and a Journal, and that's what I pay for. And there's not room for a third. So that's number two is can't make money through subscription. The biggest change, though, and this has accelerated in the last year, is that the majority of the ads that you see on mobile devices or on the web are bought and sold through trading desks or robots, that we call them, or what's called real-time buying, or what's sometimes called DSPs, demand-side platforms, or programmatic buying. You will see these phrases used interchangeably if you read sites like Digiday or AdAge or so forth. The basic premise is that, think about day trading for ads. And inventory now is bought and sold and traded in bulk based on demand. 
And what that is doing, and there's a lot of different platforms that enable this, some of which are the media buyers have, others which uh, publishers run, others that like folks like Google run. What that has done is it's driving down the cost of the ads, or the cost per thousand, dramatically. And, ver and over the last six months, you know, at a very rapid pace. That is great for marketers. That is a nightmare for the media companies. Because where they used to be able to charge some N for a web ad, they're now only able to charge a fraction for that because they're traded like pork bellies or any other commodity. And this has been talked about for about five years now. But what's happened is it's reached a critical mass in the last year. Enough people are buying and selling ads through these trading desks worldwide that it's created a nightmare scenario for the publishers. So that's a huge change. And then the last trend is that brands and corporations now feel confident that they can tell their own story their own way through what's called the converged media model, which our friends at the Altimeter Group have developed. And they are now looking at how they move paid and earned and owned into a holistic system. Part of what's driving that is confidence. You feel that you are able to tell your story your own way because you've built the infrastructure to do that on social channels over the last four or five years. So people have now built a robust way of doing storytelling through social. And they say, you know what? We can create our own website and our own mobile apps to do that. Problem with that, though, is that you're still a moonwalking bear. I'm still a moonwalking bear. And the best websites in the world still are, if the media companies are struggling to get enough people on their properties, I mean, it's, it's going to be unlikely that we're going to be able to compete in that same environment. So we got to be, but, so, but I do think that converging disciplines is the, is the right idea. So that's the, the setup. That's the economic trends that are happening. And I didn't realize it, but it really hit me in the face about four or five months ago. Actually, I'm sorry, about uh, six, seven months ago. Um, I was, uh, like I, as I mentioned, what I do is I go out and I see really smart media companies and smart people in those companies. And I was doing a, a routine briefing at the Associated Press. And I was just learning about, they have a, a social media command center there, and I want to understand how they're able to kind of do that really well and, and at scale. And at the end, I mentioned that, you know, more and more, I said, I'm, they said, what are you going to write about next? And I said, well, you know, more and more I see a lot of sponsored content on the internet. I see sponsored posts, I see promoted posts, and, I, and I'm seeing them on some of the largest websites in the world. And I said to them, would the AP ever consider running sponsored content? And the guy said to me, I'm not sure, I'll look into it. Well, I got an email by the time I got back to my desk saying, can you come back and see my boss's boss? Because we are interested in doing sponsored content. And they sent me a whole document that outlined how we could take stuff that we've created or generated, meaning earned, and pay to have that syndicated through the APs, in this case, their social media platforms. And we did that. We paid the AP to run these sponsored tweets. It was the first time that they ever ran sponsored tweets in their feed. So we didn't pay Twitter. We paid the Associated Press to link 
to content that our client was already generating at CES. And this was written about extensively because it was one of the first times that the media companies has done this. Now the AP's economic woes are not driven by you know, real-time buying platforms. They're driven by the fact that the newspapers who buy their services are not buying them at the scale that they used to. So it's a different but related part of the domino chain, if you will. But this is indicative of what's happening all over the place. More and more media companies now are open to taking our content if we pay them to run it. And that should be a PR mandate to run with, not an advertiser mandate. It should be our ball to grab. So we're all sitting here and we're saying, how do we get more of the marketing budgets? This is a ticket. This is it. On the other hand, we have to make sure that it doesn't disrupt the core of what we do. So, so far, based on our non-scientific work, we've seen three different models that the press is using where we can partner with them in a new way that we couldn't do before. I think these are the first three business models. I don't think they're the last three. All of them borrow from existing things that they've bought and sold over the years. And I'm going to take you through each one. But these are things you could be doing today. The first is a syndication model. And so what this is, is the advertorial reinvented. And you see this on a lot of sites, especially uh, sites in our hybrid category. These are every fourth post is a sponsored piece of content. Sometimes these are written by the brand. Sometimes they're written by an agency for the brand. Most often, and this should be alarming, they are written by content studios that the media has set up to work directly with clients. The media is going direct to corporations saying, we'll create the content for you, just bring the money. And it runs in the editorial well. It is delineated as sponsored content. The labeling is all over the map. Some very, very clear, others less so. Some have very clear church-state walls, others less so. Still have it, but they're, they're less intact. In markets like India and China, completely different. It's, it's much more Wild West. So that's one model. Now, some sites have been doing this for years. If you look at a Gawker, they've been doing this for many, many years. So they have a lot of data. You have the upsides, you have 100% control of the content. It's easy for the reader to separate what's an ad from what's edit. You can potentially create one piece of content and run it on five different sites. You can make it adjustable as you go, and that's the pros. The downside, I think this comes at a trust deficit. When people see the word sponsored content, they may say don't read. I don't know, we have, I'd like to see some data on that. That is something I'm sure that somebody is going to study very, uh, very carefully. Uh, it requires an editorial mindset to do, which sometimes our clients and, and, uh, and we are not as ready to do that. Um, it's easy for the reader to skip over this content. It could be jarring the first time it did it. When the AP ran those sponsored tweets, there were people who were shaking their fists and saying, no, don't put, don't put ads in my news. And we're like, you know, if you want peanut butter, you've got to have jelly. 
Um, and, and it needs to be kept fresh if you want to do this well. You can't have a, piece of, uh, can't have a sponsored post sit in the news stream for 4,000 years. You've got to keep coming up with new stuff. We think this is the least viable of the models. The second is an integrated model. And this is product placement for the web. And you know, BuzzFeed does this really well. They think about what the client or brand or corporation wants to accomplish, and then they figure out to create content around that, and they wrap the advertiser's message inside of it. Is all of the content on BuzzFeed this model? No. But enough is to, to, stand, you know, to basically help them generate revenues that pay for the rest. Um, but it's not just you know, BuzzFeed. Uh, one major business news site told us we do every morning 10 stories you need to know about today. How would you like to be number 11? And they would rebrand that 11 things you need to know today that we would pay for. I know those of you who have been in PR a long time or have been, you know, have been working with journalists for many years are concerned about this. We are too. But this is the economic reality of a change that technology is creating. Upside and downsides of this model? Well, if you're integrated, it's hard to miss the, the, the sponsor's message. As I mentioned with the, with the example of the 11 things, it can be very simple. There's a huge diversity of options. Lots of things that we can buy from media companies. Um, there's room to innovate with that. And if your message is wrapped in something and that content is shared, you go along for the ride. I don't think people are looking on Quartz, for example, from the Atlantic saying, how can I share a sponsored post? But if there's other content that feeds people's egos, then that's, you know, and, and we're part of that, then that we, we go along for the ride. Um, every one of the, I'm looking at this because the last time I spoke, I think, Eric, you took a photo and it was upside down or I was sleeping or one or the other. I don't remember. Um, I remember you took a funny photo and this looked funny. It's, it's straight, right? OK, good. All right. You have a level? OK. Um, these can be expensive. The, you know, um, some of these are $50,000, $75,000 and up. The sponsored posts, the first model, the syndicated model, is far cheaper. There are some sites that will do that for $5,000 a post. Others go higher. Um, there's a lack of accepted standards in any of these models. I mean, is, you know, the trade associations are not doing anything to say, to, to look at the policing of this, at least publicly. Um, it's hard to measure ROI if you're wrapped in somebody else's post. And it, there can be a potential for backlash with any of these models. And you know, if you go uh, Google um, the Church of Scientology and what happened with them and, and in the Atlantic, it's been well documented. Last and not least, there's co-creation. This is like a baseball stadium. So when they built you know, what's now known as City Field out in Queens, it didn't have a name. It, just had, you know, it, was a new, it was a new ballpark. They needed a sponsor. City came in, they sponsored it, and now it's wrapped into the entire experience there. We're seeing this more and more with, with media companies. And what they're doing is they're saying, well, we don't cover a certain topic. We haven't had editorial resources to do that. Come in and fund that topic. We'll bring our content. You bring some of your content. We'll put editors on that. And we'll create a new section of our website. And you'll own that for a period of time. And like I said, it's a mix of, of, of 
actual content from the advertiser as well as from editorial. Again, Business Insider is one of many that do this a lot. Um, but you're seeing this all over the place. Huffington Post does this uh, and so forth. Um, in some degree, The Economist does it. This is more like a media buy, which is both a pro actually and a con, because that means that that money cannot go to PR, it could go to media buyers. Uh, the client or the brand has directional oversight. Diverse options include events and research. A lot of media companies love this. Why? Because it comes at a trust surplus. Everybody wins. Corporation and brand wins. Media company wins because they get to create a new vertical, make new money. And the reader hopefully gets something of value that they didn't get before. So it's a triple win. We like that. Downside, I can just tell you, these are often 250000 to a million bucks and up. Um, you still don't have any daily saying editorial. So you know, I know people think they're paying a million dollars. They're still going to get that. They're not. Um, some sites uh, have affiliate links, and things can get a little blurry. These sections can be distanced from editorial. So there could be news, finance, sports, athletes who start with the letter Z, semaphore, you know, flying a kite, and then your content. You got to really ask to be moved over onto the main stage. You can't be back, you know, you can't be on stage two. Um, and it's a commitment. You got to be involved for six months to a year with, these, with this particular model. Again, I think these are the first three. There are many, many gray areas, and there are many areas where people are going to push the boundaries. As I mentioned, it's global. This is happening everywhere. Australia, the Sydney Morning Herald is doing this. In, um, you know, out of the UK, the Financial Times is doing this. They have a different approach where they'll be a, a, they don't touch a, the editorial well, but they put content in the right rail that's from the sponsor. Washington Post launched uh, a, a product uh, last week that lets you create paid ways to respond to op-ed articles. This is happening. Every major media company that is, on, that is, is looking at this at, to either fund part of what they do or potentially all of what they do. The church-state lines are going to be pushed. We have to embrace this as an industry. This is just the way, this is the, this is the way of the world because there's an a economic driver that's, that's causing this. So we like to think of ourselves as a certain kind of animal, OK? And we like to say that the media is another kind of animal. Or we like to think of marketers as one kind of animal and PR people as another kind of animal. Well, you know what? Crossbreeding is in, folks. Um, because in this age, the internet is really messy. It's blurry. It's the land of the Zablelephant. We have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Everybody is in everybody else's business. You have media companies that are setting up content studios that potentially could disintermediate us. You have um, you have PR people that are creating more and more content-focused strategies instead of message strategies. That's great. You have, everyone's getting into everyone else's business. And that means we have to change. Again, social was not enough. That was chapter one. This is chapter two. And I actually think this could be more disruptive than social was to the industry. Because it gets to the heart, because there's a real financial driver here today. Social, the money took five years to come in. Money's moving now. We're talking now, money's moving. And so we have to be ready to adapt. So in this environment, content is no longer optional. It's imperative. It starts with good storytelling. It starts with good content. 
but I advise you to think about how that becomes part of a paid strategy and how communication starts to move up that value chain because that's where it's going. And the media is going to drive that. And, you know, they're at, all different st- I've, they're at all different stages in the process. Some are very far along. Others are just getting started. But this is where the future of the industry is going. So that's what I wanted to come and share with you here today. I'm sure there's a lot of questions. Um, hopefully no one lost their lunch. Um, but this is just the reality of where things are going. And I think it's, um, you know, I, I know we can have a big kind of philosophical, scholarly, you know, scholarly kind of like, what does this mean for church, state, and journalism, and so forth. And that is concerning. But we should focus on what we, can con- what we know we can control, which is us and our clients. So thank you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.